this morning. So let's go ahead and pray for her and get started. Lord, we thank you that you are here with us. Lord, thank you that you we can come into your presence this morning together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you give us your spirit to teach us and to illumine our eyes and our hearts to the truth that you have for us this morning. Lord, thank you for Sarah and for her commitment to you and her commitment to us to take time to study your word. Thank you for your spirit that ministers to her and us. Lord, we thank you for using her this morning and preparing a message just for us. Lord, we pray that our hearts would be tuned to you, that we would be open and um, surrender our minds um, and all the, the little things that distract us. Lord, that we might concentrate and give ourselves to you and what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Well, good morning. Let me see if I can get this on here. Can y'all hear me? Is that okay? All right. I'll let you guys adjust if any adjustments need to happen. So here we are, that, uh, the back part of chapter seven. We're in verses 14 uh, to 25 this morning in chapter seven of Romans. I don't know about you, but um, when I'm listening to a teacher or a preacher or speaker kind of you know, exposit the deep truths, the rich truths of scripture. And all of a sudden they kind of take a little um, lens change. They, they adjust the lens a little bit to make it personal, to show us how it's personal to them, how in light of these things, they are living this out and how, what this experience is like. It just kind of helps me make it personal for myself, helps me map this onto my own life. And that's kind of what we're seeing here today with Paul. Um, he does do that lens change. He starts to make it personal and starts giving us um, examples from his own, own life of what of what this looks like. Up until this point in, in chapter seven, he's been talking about the law, that it's righteous, that it's holy, that it's good, that we are set free as believers to obey God's law. We actually can now because we have the Holy Spirit in us. And when we fail to obey his commandments, that we are not condemned because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. He's already taken all of that condemnation. And we're actually not married to the law any longer. We're married to Christ. So those are like these big truths. What does that look like in everyday living? And that's what Paul is going to share with us today. But before we get into his words, um, I wanted to share with you a little bit of my own story, because I think it does illustrate First of all, my own need for this passage, and I'm hoping that you'll be able to relate with some of it along the way. Um, I became a Christian when I was really young. I was six years old after family devotions. And, you know, it is young, but even in my childlike way, I understood that I had a dirty heart, that what, what the Bible calls sin, and that that sin broke relationships, separated me from God, and that my only hope was that God had sent his only son, Jesus, into this world to live that perfect life for me to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for my sin. And as I rest in him, that's that's where I can have that reconnection with God. We call it the great exchange. He gave us his righteousness and he took on himself our punishment and our condemnation and paid for it in full. So, you know, as I grew with Christ, you know, through, um, you know, junior high and high school and even college, 
I kind of thought that, you know, I was learning about sanctification and how the Holy Spirit, you know, makes me to look more like Christ the, the longer and longer as I grow. And so I kind of thought I'd be getting better at not sinning. <laughs> I thought I'd be, you know, but I was still seeing my sin. And I thought, well, what, you know, is there something wrong with me? I just didn't know what to do with it. I, w- I was, I, I talked with my dad early on. I was concerned about losing my salvation. And he assured me very quickly from John 10, 28, that Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can ever snatch them out of my hand. So I knew I was convinced of that. And I, that was definitely a, a reassurance to my heart, but I still didn't know what to do. You know, when, when sin started rearing its ugly head and I started seeing it, um, I wasn't sure how to handle it. So I would actually do one of two things. And to be quite honest with you, I still have the tendency to fall into one of these two ditches. Um, first, um, the one ditch that I often fall into is I try to make excuses for it. I try to just to kind of self-justify myself. Um, you know, maybe make it, you know, it's not that bad. It could, you know, anyone in this situation would have done that, or I could be doing something much worse, you know, or, or just, um, giving myself a little pep talk, you know, like, well, Sarah, just do better next time. You you can, you got this, you got this. Or I would fall into the other ditch of self, self self-loathing, um, guilt and shame. How could I have done this again? God, I'm so sorry. I can't believe I did this again. And I'll read my Bible 15 more minutes today, you know, cause I did this. So, you know, it's these, it's, it was these two extremes. And, and as we have come to see, if you're listening in Romans, that's not the gospel perspective at all. So my point with sharing all that is that it would really have done me good to sit in this passage. Um, and this passage has been part of my story in coming alive to the truths of the gospel. So um, we're going to read uh, Paul's testimony today, Paul's personal story, um, and I'm going to read through it twice. It's a shorter passage, so I felt like we could do this. I'm going to read it first in the English Standard Version, and then I'm going to read it through the Living Translation, the Living Bible. I feel like both of them kind of bring fresh things from the passage, um, and truthfully, his word is going to be the most important thing you hear today. So we're going to sit in, I think it helps us to sit in it just a little bit longer, so All right. Where am I here? All right. So let's start with the ESV. Paul says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law, a general principle, that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man, wretched woman that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Let's read it now in the living translation. 
Again, Paul says the law is good then. And the trouble is not there, but it's with me because I am sold into slavery with sin as my owner. I don't understand myself at all. For I really want to do what is right, but I can't. I do what I don't want to, what I hate. I know perfectly well that what I'm doing is wrong, and my bad conscience proves that I agree with these laws that I'm breaking. But I can't help myself because I'm no longer doing it. It's the sin inside me that is stronger than I am that makes me do these evil things. I know I am rotten through and through so far as my old sinful nature is concerned. No matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. When I want to do good, I don't. When I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. Now, if I'm doing what I don't want to, it is plain where the trouble is. Sin still has me in its evil grasp. It seems to be a fact of life that when I want to do right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love to do God's will as far as my new nature is concerned. But there's something else deep within me in my lower nature that is at war with my mind and wins the fight and makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. In my mind, I want to be God's willing servant, but instead I find myself still enslaved to sin. So you see how it is. My new life tells me to do right, but the old nature that is, that is still inside me loves to sin. Oh, what a terrible predicament I'm in. Who will free me from my slavery to this deadly lower nature? Thank God it has been done by Jesus Christ, our Lord. He has set me free. So can you hear the battle raging in Paul? Can you relate with the battle raging in Paul? There's a war between the new self and the old self. And we're going to define those terms a little bit. The new self and the old self are at war with each other. The new self is that self that is in Christ. Paul refers to it as the spiritual self. He says, my inner being that loves and agrees with God's law and is set free in Christ to obey God's law. This is the believer's truest identity, our truest self. And here's where we see uh, the, the new self referenced in this passage. In verse 16, he says, I agree with the law that it is good. 17, I don't want to sin. 18, I have the desire to do what is right. 19, I want to do good. Verse 22, I delight in the law of God in my inner being. And verse 25, I serve the law of God with my mind. But then we have the old self rearing its ugly head. And uh, Paul refers to this as in the flesh, in my members, my lower nature. It's the part of us, it's the, the self that is sold under sin. And there's no natural desire to follow God's law apart from his Holy Spirit. So here's where we see these references to the old self in this passage. In verse 14, he says, I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Verse 15, I do not understand my own actions. I do the very thing I hate. Verse 18, nothing good dwells in me. I don't have a natural ability to carry out what is right. Verse 20, sin dwells in me. Verse 25, my flesh serves the law of sin. So we we see here with the, the, this war between the old self and the new self is kind of what Jan was talking about a few weeks ago with the already but not yet. So already... We are saved by Christ. We belong to him. He gives us a desire and a love for his word and a love, a desire, a love and desire to obey him. Um, and just to, just to give a little 
peek into chapter eight, he's setting us up here to talk more about the Holy Spirit in chapter eight, but he doesn't mention it so much in this passage. Um, but that's the already, that's what we currently have in Christ. The not yet is that we don't yet have our perfect glorified bodies like we will have in heaven. And so we live with this tension and we will for the rest of our lives. So I want to be transparent here that there is a debate among theologians about which part of Paul's life that he's talking about here. Is Paul talking about his life before Christ or is he talking about his life after he started walking with Christ? And I'm teaching uh, today from the view that Paul is talking about himself as a Christian and that this is the normal Christian experience. And here's a couple reasons why. Um, first of all, Paul switches to the present tense here. He was talking in the past tense in the, the first part of uh, chapter seven. And all of a sudden in these, in these verses, 14 to 25, he switches to um, personal present tense pronouns. So that's one reason. It's, it's, it's his current experience. And secondly, Paul says he loves and agrees with God's law. Only a Christian who, is, who has been set free by the power of the Holy Spirit can love and agree with God's law. Um, and thirdly, Paul is actually fighting his sin here. Uh, he's not happy that he's sinning. He's not just content to keep on sinning. If, if he was not in the fight, if he was not following Jesus, he would be perfectly content to keep sinning. There would be no fight. Um, it wouldn't feel bad. It would just be a normal course of life that he, that he would be sinning. But Paul is in the fight. So what Paul is doing here for us is he's painting for us the impossibility of overcoming sin and obeying God's law in our flesh and giving us that picture of the war between the old self and the new self. So I don't know if you see this in your life like I do, but I wanted to give you a few examples of even in the past week where I have experienced some of these things and I'm hoping you'll be able to relate. Um, how about the struggle with anxiety? Waking up in the middle of the night, my mind is racing with all the things that I can't control, the worries that I have, the, the stresses of the week or, or beyond. And I'm laying there, I'm going, God, I agree with your law. I agree that you say, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And sometimes as I quote that verse to myself in the middle of the night, I do, I am able to fall asleep and it does calm my heart and my mind. And other times my flesh, my old self is waging war against my inner, my inner man, my inner being and not letting me go back to sleep. So that's just one example. How about seeking comfort through snacking? Uh, again, when things are out of control, I like to go to what I can control. And that is the food that I put in my body. And I go to my cupboards and I, I look for snacks and it's just kind of a comfort. And I know that God says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And yet I want to, my, my old self wants to control what I can control. So there's, these are just two very simple examples. I, the list could honestly go on and on. And I think as you look for these things, as I've been sitting in this passage, I've seen that, I mean, I could literally take this whole time and share with you this war in my, in my flesh. Um, so I just want to, want to define some more terms here for you. John Stott uh, shows us that there's four sets of two in this passage. First of all, there's two cells. There's the eye who wants to do good and the eye where evil is close at hand. There's two laws, the law of God and the law of sin. There are two slaveries, 
I'm a slave to God's law in my mind and a slave to sin in my flesh apart from, apart from his spirit. Again, more of his spirit in chapter eight. And then there's two cries from the heart. Wretched man that I am, wretched woman that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he answers that with thanks be to God. He delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but when I was reading this passage, uh, I got to verses 17 and 20, where he says, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And I thought, is that like a cop out, you know, Paul, are you saying, well, you know, sin that dwells within me, not really my responsibility, you know, kind of as an excuse to, to keep sinning. Well, first of all, if you have been paying attention at all through the book of Romans, you'll see that that is not at all what he's saying. That's not all what he's been saying up until this point. He wouldn't start saying that now. Um, but secondly, we see that that's not his posture here. In fact, in verse 25, he shows his accountability to both of these things. He says, I myself, in verse 25, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I myself serve the law of sin. So he's he's taking ownership of this. He's saying, I act in both of these ways, and he's not rolling over and just giving into this sin. He's fighting it, and it, it, it grieves him. Wretched man that I am. So what he is saying when he says, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me, he's really saying, when I sin, that is not the real me. That is not what my deep inner self made new by Christ wants to do. That's not my true identity as a Christian. Um, so something else that jumped off the page at me uh, was when he reaches the end of himself, when he says, wretched man that I am, um, how does he respond? Does, does he respond in some of in two of the extremes that I did? Does he say, Oh, Paul, better do better next time or, or, Oh, you know, it's not too bad. Or does he wallow in self pity and despair? No, no. He shouts out in worship. Thanks be to God. He sets me free and delivers me. He turns to Christ. And I just want to point out that this is the gospel. This is where we live as Christians. Jesus has paid for our sins. And that is our hope. That is where we must live. Um, instead of falling into these two extremes, we follow two simple words from Mark 1.15, repent and believe. Repent and believe. So what do those terms mean? Repent. I look at my sin. I hate my sin. And I confess it to God. I say, God, I'm sorry. I've, I see this. I know it's wrong. It goes against your law. I just want to acknowledge to you that I'm wrong. And then second, we believe. We turn back to Christ, we rest there, and we receive his love and forgive his forgiveness for us. Lord, thank you. Thank you that I can that I can continue, that I can grow. Help me to live for you. Thank you for convicting me of my sin. And honestly, the more we do this, the quicker our response becomes. Repent, believe, repent, believe. I've heard it referred to as a waltz. For any of you who um, might dance, I know Beth Myers was here last night and she she takes dance lessons with her husband. And if you're if you're learning a waltz, you know, initially, as you're learning the steps, the, the, the it's kind of clunky. It's kind of hard. And you're you're feeling like, OK, you're responding to your partner. You're not sure your partner in this sense is the Holy Spirit convicting you. But, you know, those first steps are kind of like, OK, OK, I. I know this is not right. I'm convicted by the repent. What does that look like? Believe. So, I mean, it, it's it takes some conscious effort as you're, as you're first learning. But as you start to repent and believe more often, it becomes quicker. 
And you start to notice more quickly the the Holy Spirit convicting you. And instead of running away from it, you turn quickly to him in repentance and belief and you and you rest there. And this is this is the Christian life. This is a moment by moment, day in and day out thing. I think this for me was kind of an aha moment in my walk with Christ. I think I always looked at repenting and believing as something I did when I first trusted Christ. But it is, it, I've come to find, and, and this is what still sets me free day in and day out, is that I, I do this daily with Jesus, that he is constantly convicting, the Holy Spirit's constantly convicting, and I'm constantly repenting, and I'm constantly believing. So a couple takeaways, <clears throat> excuse me, there's two comforts and a warning. The first comfort is, if you love God and his law, and you are constantly fighting sin, you are a normal growing Christian. There is no such thing as a superhuman Christian who stops sinning before they reach heaven. Uh, even Paul himself, the Apostle Paul, is telling us, this is my daily day in and day out struggle. Uh, the second comfort is that, and, and I kind of mentioned this, that conviction of sin, the ability to see when we're wrong, is actually a gift. It's a gift from the Holy Spirit. If If God did not care about us, if he did not love us, he would let us continue in our own ways. And we actually got that warning in, in chapter one, where he says, I, I give them over to their desires. And I'll tell you what, if I was scared as a child of being separated from God, I still have that healthy fear of, oh Lord, do not leave me to my own desires. Do not let me go in my own way. So I have come, I think early in my life, I ran from conviction because I didn't know what to do with it. And now I view it as a, as a gift. I, and I say, thank you, Lord, for, for not letting me continue. So that's a comfort. The warning actually is if you don't see your sin, you're deceived. Um, there's actually more reason to be concerned if you're not experiencing the struggle against sin. If, it's, if sin has just become a habit and it's something you're so used to doing, you don't even see it anymore. And if that's the case, that's when you cry out with Paul, wretched man that I am. Lord, help me, reveal my sin, show me, show me where, where I'm not walking with you. So uh, just to kind of close out our time, I wanted to show you uh, a tool called the cross chart that has really helped me in my life. And honestly, I'm guessing a lot of you are familiar with this. This is um, put out by Surge. So if any of you have done their sonship material or, or read any of their materials, it's, it's just a helpful tool, but um it shows that as we grow in the gospel and grow when we come to Christ and grow in our understanding of who he is, we grow in three areas. And the, uh, here's conversion. The one area we grow in is our knowledge of his holiness. We start to see as we read his word, we see his perfection and his, his just profound beauty of how perfect he is. And we also grow in our knowledge of our own sinfulness, um, understanding the many ways that we that we fall short. And as a result, our understanding of the cross and of what Jesus has done for us on the cross becomes larger and larger in our understanding, in our hearts and our minds. The cross has always been and will continue to be larger than life. But we start to understand more and more in our own personal experience, oh, this is what Jesus paid for. This is the depths that he has gone to reconcile me to God. So it's it's a beautiful, There's we're never going to outgrow the cross. The, as long as we walk with him, it will become more and more beautiful. So here's what, when our old self 
tries to creep in. Uh, here's what it can look like. And this is kind of the extremes that I was talking about that I tend to go, that I tend to run to. As we, you know, see God's holiness, we understand more of our own sinfulness. We feel like we, we, we start to kind of shrink the, we're tempted to shrink the cross in our own thinking. So we try to fill in those gaps with, as I mentioned, self-justification, religion, legalism, moralism, pride, or on the other end of the spectrum, as I mentioned, guilt, fear, shame, insecurity, despair, self-hatred. Um, and what we're doing is we're shrinking the cross. We're not, we're not embracing the full power of what Jesus has done for us. So we must live, again, this is the gospel. We must live in the cross. It's, it is our only hope, and there is nothing that we can add to what Jesus has already done. So th- I guess the hard news here is that we will never, this side of heaven, this will be a constant battle. Our old self and our new self will be constantly warring against each other. But the good news is that we can cry out and worship with Paul, saying, thanks be to God who delivers me. Through Jesus Christ. And I just wanted to leave you with Paul's, uh, in, with more of Paul's encouragement in another book of the Bible, uh, in Philippians 3, where he reminds us of our hope. He reminds us of what is ahead, what we're living for, what we are looking forward to um, as we await our Savior. Paul says in Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And because we have this hope, he says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, as we wait, stand firm in the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we recognize our need. God, we see our old self and our new self at war with each other. And God, we long to live in the beauty of the cross, in the the reality of who we are as your daughters in Christ, set free by the gospel, set free by what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Would you help us to live there? And God, I pray for my own soul, for all of our souls, that we would not be afraid to look our sin in the eye because we know we have a savior who has rescued us. I pray, Lord, that instead of falling to to these extremes that we talked about today, God, that that we will be quick to repent and believe, quick to turn to you uh, in confession, in in faith, and say, "I, I have done wrong. Thank you for saving me from this. This is why you died. So, Lord, thank you for the hope that your gospel brings. Thank you for Paul, who is real and honest with us, that can relate with us. Um, And thank you for Jesus who can relate with us as well, because he came, he walked this earth and he understands the realities of, of how hard it is to live the human life. And yet he did it without sin for us. And God, that is our hope. So we give you praise this morning. I pray as we go to our groups and talk further through these things, um, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would stir up these gospel truths in us and that we'd be able to encourage each other further. Uh, as we walk with you together. So we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.